Thanks for joining us for the Long Island Sound Podcast. Each week we explore new music and dive deeper with the artists and their stories behind the music. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you stream this podcast. Here's your host, Steve Yusko. You're really going to enjoy today's episode. I speak with George Barry. Not only is he a singer-songwriter, he gigs all around Long Island from Manhattan to Montauk, but we get fantastic insights from a singer-songwriter on the music industry, and George does not hold back. Let's listen to his song, When I See You. Everybody, I am so excited about my guest today. He's played from Manhattan to Montauk, resides out east. We found each other on the internet, and I really want to jump into his music. He's a fantastic guitarist and a great songwriter as well. So I want to welcome George Barry to the Long Island Sound Podcast. George, welcome. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so to give everybody the backstory, after some technical difficulties, we finally got this thing going. So uh 
uh, hey, shit happens, right? <laughs> George, I want to ask you this. I, I tell you, I'm really enamored by people who've woodshedded their craft, who've written songs. Tell me how it all began for you as far as picking up the instrument, and then at what point did you find out, hey, I can write music and I want to write music? Um, it's, you know, I came up in the era of watching my brother, who was playing music before me. And uh, so okay. I'm like six years old, and I see my brother playing guitar in the basement with four other guys. One of my first memories uh, ever is of the little red light on an amplifier glowing and uh, that sweet music. And it just lit a fire inside of me. I must have been five, six years old. I never forgot that. Wow. And then as I grew seven, eight, nine, ten years of age, it was just all part of my life, 20, you know, 360 degrees. And I wanted to be a part of it. Mm. And I love those songs. And they were, they were not foreign to me. They were in my soul, a part of me. And so to me, right. as soon as I could, I learned guitar. You know? And then as soon as I could, well, let me write my songs. And, and then it just started okay. from there. You know, it's, you know what's great? What, what I'm amazed at is when you get these little seeds of inspiration from family members with music... And then you roll into your teen years where you can get obsessed in a good way about something. Man, it really just makes for uh, really great artists, you know, from my experience, you know. Yeah, it. Uh, I blame the Beatles because my brother saw the Beatles on television <laughs> and that lit the fire in him. And then I saw him right. and that lit the fire in me. Excellent. Yeah, two, two of the top inspirations of anyone that I've talked to of a certain age, to be honest with you, it's either Elvis or the Beatles, right. and it's usually the Ed Sullivan program that really, you know, blew their mind as far as uh, what the hell music could be for them. You know, it's it's kind of cool. Yeah, you know? and for me, it lit the fire in every possible direction. I not only wanted to understand the songs, I wanted to understand the artists. Mm -hmm. I wanted to understand what those artists were responding to, you know, the, their times that they lived in, what they were writing about. And still to this day, like, you know, I have a library of books at home. A, a lot of them are un, no longer published about the canon of, of pop music and rock music. I mean, I went into this 360 degrees, every rabbit hole I went down. I, I just love every aspect of it. Yeah, so I would, I would put you, uh, George, in the category of a true music aficionado. I've been accused of it, and I reject that because uh, I'm a real shallow, small-brained guy. <sighs> And I love talking to people who really know their, their shit about music, whether it's uh, the background of musicians. And that's what's kind of uh, it really became a seat of curiosity for me with the podcast is when I would go out and see, we always search for live music, you know. And when we went out, I always had this little curiosity of, well, what's that person's story? Why do they do this? How do they do this? And, you know, I really got an appreciation for the hours of work that go into a performance, whether it's a two, three, or four hour performance, there's thousands of hours that kind of back that up. And I'm sure you're that type of musician. As I can't well. turn off. I absolutely love, love it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, at one point in my life, I was working a job from 1 p.m. till 9 p.m. When I came home from work, I would put these sheets up in my windows to block out the, the light and the sound. And I would start recording sometime around 10 p.m. at night. And then uh, when I take the sheets down, often it was the next day, 12, 12 noon the next day, no sleep, just went straight through, recorded something, mixed, mastered, the whole thing. 
uh, you know, I can't turn it off. And, and the same thing when it comes to understanding uh, who was on what session, um, what mm. those lyrics were about. What were the lyrics really? Not not what the publisher said they were. What did the actual singers say? Why did they say that? I love the whole canon right. of it. I, I'm, I've been offered a, a, to do a show on, on rock history and stuff like that. But I don't have as much interest in that. I really much much rather uh, carry the torch forward with original music. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with you 100. percent You know, and I'm I'm I'll be 62 this July, and one of the things that and this happened during COVID, I, in having conversations with other people about music, I found my age group, my peers, kind of reminiscing about the 70s, which great music, obviously Laurel Canyon, the whole nine yards, Neil Young. But then I said, you know what, it, it, it can get kind of stale. And uh, I listened to WFUV, the Fordham station, which I think kind of broadened my Great horizon station. on, you know, yeah, what's out there, you know. And then WSB in, uh, in Stony Brook is a big proponent of uh, original music and local stuff. And, uh, man, I'll sing the gospel of original music all day long because that keeps us fresh and, and keeps us grounded in what's happening around us. What I think, oh, so. I think it's essential. And if you're going to pick up, a, you know, if you're going to do original music, if you're an artist, hopefully mm -hmm. you've also studied the people who came before you so that you understand that right. you're putting art into a place where it's part of a canon. There's, there's before, there's now, and then there's what will come later. And if you're smart, mm -hmm. you're writing to that. And the best material, in my opinion, writes to that. It writes to that. Understood. So that, yeah. I mean, you're not, just, you're not just trying to reinvent the wheel. I mean, it's already been done. So study from the best. Study the Beatles. Study Elvis. Study the Stones. Study whatever it is that inspires you. Learn from it and bring mm -hmm. it forward. There's no point doing exactly what's been done before. There's absolutely no point in that. It's been done. It's probably been done better. It's certainly fresher. So now the responsibility for anybody coming up is how do I take that forward? How do I take And this is a big challenge. Uh, sure. And anybody that wants to participate has my utmost respect because it is a serious challenge. But um, those bands that just only want to do what's been before um, – I mean, they know it to themselves. They're not, they're not using their gifts for, for the greater good. Right. I don't right. want to name, I yeah, don't want to name you know, tribute bands by name, no, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I know exactly. What you do. And you know what? There is, uh, certainly they mastered their craft to emulate the artist in ways that kind of blow my mind. But then there is that taking that leap into the well and, and exploring your own creativity and nuance and how to proceed that from takes that. courage wanna, yeah, that ahead. takes courage of a course. lot more courage it takes balls, balls <laughs> and it takes money you're putting your own money up i mean i was offered a role in beatlemania years ago you know oh, oh yeah. wow i mean wow. we need a paul that's what they they was they came <laughs> oh we need a paul we've heard you be an excellent paul right. when i was younger i looked more, a little bit more like paul mccartney and uh the further i went into the discussion of whether i would be uh on broadway in beatlemania the more, you know, well, you know, George, we like you, but you're going to have to talk like Paul, you know, even when you're off stage. And you need to get your hair cut more like Paul. And you need to use the same instruments Paul used. And you're going to have to learn how to play left-handed because, you know, he's a lefty. And I started to realize wow. the creativity was getting more and more and more pigeonholed. 
talk like Paul, mm. sing like Paul, act like Paul. And I love Paul McCartney. I mean, I mentor under right. him. Right. He's Sir Paul. Uh-huh. To me, uh-huh. there's no one higher, really. Um, but would I want to impersonate him? I would not want to impersonate him. I, you know, it's like being Rich Little. If anybody remembers who Rich Little, the impersonator was. Oh, sure. Yeah. The, uh, yep. Yeah, but Rich Little. On but it would be like being Rich Little. But you're only allowed to do one impersonation, and you must do it for the rest of your life. Right. That's not art. I remember. I remember. I remember. He was. Uh, he did Nixon. You know, and I, I remember that. And and you know, I can remember the five impressions that he did. But sure. it is a narrow guideline. Where you go, but I want to take uh, the question in another direction because you spark my interest in the fact that you do your own recording, and that's another discipline yeah. and another uh, way to train your ear to pick out different things. Tell me how you got into that. Oh, geez, um, I came along throwing you curveballs here, aren't I? No, no, it's just uh, how many hours do we have? So, <laughs> so I'll try to make it really short for you people out there because I know not everybody wants to go down these rabbit holes. Most people just want the song, you know. But um, what happens right. when you're a musician uh, and you learn to play your guitar and you wrote your song is you find out pretty quickly that, like, just hitting record button, it doesn't sound at all as cool mm-hmm. as you thought it was going to be. So then you start, right. you don't realize it, but you're going down the rabbit hole of recording engineering. And pretty soon, right. you learn what microphones record a voice really well. This is a, a Shure SM7B. I believe you have one as well, I think. Yep, same well. Right. Yep, exactly. Industry standard. You know, what headphones work best for listening to what you're doing? Mm. And next thing you know, like me, you know, I started recording seriously. Um, oh, geez. Somewhere in the 80s. I remember well, yeah, okay. going into Power Station Studios in Manhattan to do mix downs. There was a guy there, um, used to empty the ashtrays. John was his name. No one ever thought anything. Would... Okay. John wanted to be a musician, but he was just emptying the ashtrays because okay. his cousin owned the studio, Power Station. John, we didn't know what would become of John. We were there busy doing mixes. Uh, we heard a couple of years later he got signed to a label, um, and then his professional name was John Bon Jovi. Oh, you're kidding yeah. me. Holy man! Yeah, and Tony Bon, it's, yeah, it, Tony Bon Jovi owned the studio. That's how he got the job. Oh, wow. or he wouldn't have had a wow. job. That's amazing. He knew somebody, so they gave him the job cleaning toilets and emptying ashtrays. And I, I have nothing but the utmost respect for John Bon Jovi and everything he's doing because I know that guy came from the lowest possible position right. and made it. That's that's dedication and putting yourself in the right fertile field for the potential to move in that direction. Hey, I'd be remiss if we didn't jump and talk about the first song that our audience heard before the podcast, before we joined each other, which was When I See You. Tell me, I, I never ask, by the way, just as a precursor to this, I never ask a, an a artist, what's that song about? Because I love when the audience can make it their own and tie it to their their story. But I'm curious about, in this particular song, how the muse came to you, when the song was developed, and, and when you released it. Um, I was, I was going to be doing some press um, some time ago, and they said, Saturday, you're going to be doing the, the interview. And uh, I okay. said to myself, well, I don't have anything new. <laughs> I, I should sit down and see if I can write something and record it that week. Hmm. So I sat down in a chair, and it was, it was this summer. And it was one of those days this summer where the sun came out and it was early spring, you know, 
And uh, as the sun came out, it was a beautiful day, and I just hit these four chords on the guitar. Mm -hmm. And it was all there. I heard it all in those four chords. And all that I had to do was not get in the way. So I just went inside myself, what are the words? And I wrote them down. And what's the next chord, okay? And I just teased it out like that. And when I was done, I looked at mm. it and I said, what exactly am I writing about? You know, I, I thought of it. Now I was rational. And I looked at the lyrics and I said, oh, wow, it's the first song I've ever written about my wife. This is the very first song. It's, it's written about my wife, but it's truly anybody who loves anybody knows what it's like right. when they see that person, that they don't question it. Right. And they don't feel anything negative about it. Nice. Nice. It's beautiful. Thanks. Hey, let's do this, George. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm, I'm really interested in if we can expand on your influences and who you admire today as a singer, songwriter, or a performer. Hey, everybody, we'll be back with George Barry. Stick with us. We've got a lot more to come. Are you ready to groove to the rhythm of Long Island's music scene? The Long Island Sound Podcast invites you on a melodic journey through the talented musicians and thriving venues that keep the island rocking. Get your front row seat by subscribing to the Long Island Sound Podcast on gigdestiny.com. Let the music ignite your soul. Find us wherever you stream your podcast. We are back, and I don't know why I say we are back, because you know we're back, because you can actually hear us. So I'm with George Barry. I'm going to call George a music aficionado, because he's gone pretty deep on stuff. And George, before the break, I asked you to think about your influences in the past that kind of driven your music and people that you admire today. So tell me what you got. My core is, is coming from a writing perspective, is writing songs. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Paul McCartney, Sir Paul McCartney, probably the highest uh, influence to me. John Lennon, mm -hmm. of course. You know the Beatles' work, Harrison as well, can't be denied. Uh, after that, mm -hmm. uh, further modifications uh, in understanding composition: Wang Chung, which is Jack Hughes oh, and Nick okay. Feldman, brilliant writers, highly undervalued. Mm -hmm. um, Leonard Bernstein, uh, West Side Story in particular. Um, after that, you know, it's like anybody, anybody that, that applies themselves to the craft and comes up with the goods, pff, utmost respect, you know. And that comes back to mm. taking chances, being brave, like Bernstein in Maria uses an interval of a flat fifth in the melody. Maria. Okay. Right. That interval, that's very brave. The church right. outlawed yeah. that pitch. You weren't allowed to do that for... For oh, hundreds of years. And Leonard Bernstein uses it to describe a woman named Maria who is basically the beautiful virgin. Like Maria, like Mary. Mm. Right, of course, he's taking yeah. chances there. And there's a good chance some people would have rejected it. But Bernstein does it so well, so effectively, we all find it beautiful. So, my Wow. Thanks for pointing yeah. out that, that nuance. Sure. Yeah. See, one, one of the people on my list would be Tom Petty. I've I've gotten a more uh, deeper appreciation of Same. Tom, and and his simple simple lyrics that that linger with you and and help tell a story, and and let you go on your own journey. Tom Petty's influence to me as well. I wrote a song mm. during the pandemic, and it was very influenced by Tom. You know, I've always liked Tom's simplicity, 
and that he knew what Beethoven knew, which is simplicity equals power. Hmm. Simplicity equals power, which is why the, the, the lead motifs, the, the lead motives in Beethoven are like four notes. Da, 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 four notes. Right. Very powerful. ACDC knows this as well. Right, right. Exactly. You know, three chords, no waiting. <laughs> um, you know, and so Petty's strength is brevity and not getting in the way of something strong. And uh, during pandemic, I wrote a song uh, and basically was sort of my, my, my appreciation of Tom. Mm. Yeah, and throw Mike Campbell in with with uh, you know lead riffs coming yeah. in uh, that just accent you know he, he name that tune you you can you can hear Mike Campbell and you know the tune uh, going into it yeah now you brought up the pandemic how you know being being a performer and now getting hit with the inability to perform in front of a live audience you know for a period of time how did you deal with that how did it affect your creativity. Uh, during quarantine. Well, I'm going to quote Winston Churchill here uh, when I say it sucked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> As he sips his brand. Yes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> cheers. Uh, it absolutely sucked. Uh, you know, I love playing live and I love the connection that I have with the audience. And I, I seem to do very well with audiences. Um, mm. And it was a, a terrible disruption. Uh, we kept the troops, the audience together by doing uh, online broadcasts. Oh, great. Good, good. And I would play anything, you know. I have a guitar in my hand, and I take whatever requests. And we raised money for animal causes because me and my wife yes. are, are big on that. In fact, this year mm-hmm. I'm playing a benefit for Last Chance Animal Rescue. I'm playing another benefit for the Save the Animals Rescue, which is known as Star Foundation. Uh, Excellent. We kept we kept you know hopes high and spirits high by keeping everybody together. And we would drink wine, and we would do pairings and play songs. Okay. So we would do these crazy pairings, like um, my friends at Puglisi Vineyard sent a case of wine, and we would pair Chardonnay with Twinkies, and uh, <laughs> and then we take requests, and we kept everybody listening and sometimes donating to a good cause, and we did that for a number of weeks, and that's how we got through it. And then as soon as we could, we got back with the audiences, and it was very guarded at first, mm. and so the first song I came back on was an original song I played. At live, I referred to it earlier, and uh, it's called The State I'm In. Okay. And the first line, how are you? How you been? Don't mind me in the state I'm in. Nice, and that was nice. my appreciation of Tom Petty, who was so, so good at plain talking and hitting the point right on the head. Right. You know, the other thing, it, it's, and I have a, a question and a comment. First, the comment, as far as I've, maybe it's bad to do this, but I put, uh, People play or people perform in different categories. There are musicians who do well at what they do. And then there are, I think, a whole different category of what I would say true entertainer performers who have that ability to make that connection with whatever audience they're put in front of. And I find great satisfaction when I'm watching somebody live when I feel like they're inviting me into their room, into their world. And it could be conversation, it could be. Uh, it could be a lot of different things, um, but I think that's a true art and a true skill to learn as that's well. That's what I'm trying to achieve. I'm always trying yeah. to achieve that. Uh, when I'm writing, I'm trying to bring across the divine into the song. When I'm performing, mm. I'm trying to bring divinity into the room. I know this is heavy, kids. I don't mean to upset anybody. And I'm not getting religious no, 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 with you. No, it's all good. No, I'm not trying good. to get religious with anybody, but, you know, uh, Beethoven himself said, you know, music is the highest language. 
the incorporeal entrance to the divine. And what I feel is, is that if we get it right, like the Beatles, then there's no arguments. People see each other in each other's eyes and we're peaceful and we're relaxed and we understand we're all in this together. We'll have hope and love and we get along good, actually. It takes the right songs. It takes the right approach. Um, It takes tending to that. It's not automatic. A lot of things Mm -hmm. can throw off the energy and the vibe in the room and stuff like that. But when I'm playing live, the songs I pick, the way I go about them, if I need to say something in between songs, I'm going to do that uh, to help usher along the experience. Uh, I'm there for it, too. I I, I mean, if we get it right, I'm happy, too. It's not about me. I'm just helping to or trying to help it bring into life. Yeah, and springboarding off of that, what I, you know, I found myself in watching bands. Then I'm going to ask you about the makeup of when you go live as far as who you play with and what have you. But I, I, one, I've, I've looked to learn the cues or watch the cues between the musicians. Like, okay, you take that lead and, and some is real nuanced. I think that's great. But the other thing I spot is when someone is so joyful in their playing, you, man, you feel that energy or yeah. that divinity, if you want to put it that way, reach out into the audience. And I've seen that a few times where I go, wow, this is really, what a joyous occasion that I'm experiencing uh, as members of the audience. So having said that, what's the makeup of, of your band when you go out, play lives, mostly solo or, or in a duo, or how do you approach your, your live music? Over the years, I've, I've done it pretty much every possible way. And um... Okay. These days, depending upon budget, it'll be me acoustic by myself. It'll be a duo, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes trio or four-piece. Um, okay. Because I've spent so many years recording, and I've even done uh, music for motion picture. I've done uh, music for television. I've done music for horse ballet, uh, as, as well as all the rock and pop stuff, which is my core. I've done so much that I can configure myself any which way to get it done. And I have a Rolodex, you know, I have a whole list of people, sidemen, that for a particular gig, I'm going to call this guy. For a different gig, I'm going to call that guy. Nice. Yeah. And I actually know what a Rolodex is. So uh, <laughs> for, for, the, for the kids in the audience, we used to have cards that would flip in a carousel that would have people's names and phone numbers, and you val- valued your Rolodex tremendously. It's all, it's all on the phone now. <laughs> I have right, my list yeah. of people I... If I need somebody, it's right in there. Nice. Hey, let's talk about the other song, you, one of the other songs you brought to the table called She's Stunning. Tell me a little bit about that, and then we'll jump in and let the audience hear it. Oh, She's Stunning is for Kira. Kira um, was a very special dog that um, me and my wife mm. adopted some time ago. And the moment that I saw her picture online, I knew that we had to have this dog. Which is so oh, weird wow. because I don't normally feel that way when I see a picture of a dog. Uh, and we've done mm-hmm. so many rescues over the years. Dogs, cats, horses, you name it. Uh, a wolf, mm. every kind of thing. A bat. You know, We've done all this involvement with animal rescue. And for some reason when I saw this picture of Kira, it just spoke to my soul. And I said, my God, she's stunning. Nice. And I sat down with the guitar and all of a sudden, there it was. There it was. It, it, it came through you, yes. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Yeah. So let's listen to She's Stunning for Kira, and we'll be right back after the song. Hang with us, everybody. Check this out.
give her all the tea and Thailand Sitting here, but I gotta go To where she is, it's never too far to go When I think about her eyes, looking back at me What a beautiful song. It was really great to hear that, George. Hey, uh, between the break, while we're listening to that song, or you were listening to the song, we're going to jump into a, a couple of subjects, and let's start with a tough one first. Tell me about your thoughts about money and the music industry uh, and uh, the direction things are heading in, because uh, I, I, I'll say this. It's freaking tough for musicians and it seems as though with the upside down world of music production that making money off of streams is unless you you hit the golden rainbow for you know is is tough and you're selling merch and everything else so give me your take on the on that i've gone down the rabbit hole on this pretty good i mean i'm not the expert but <laughs> i've spent enough time on it where i can tell you that um you folks listening if you get most of your music through streaming you're you're not supporting these artists you're not. Taylor Swift is not getting Agreed. anything significant by you listening to her on Spotify. And if you're listening on Apple or Amazon, any of their streaming services, you're not supporting those artists. Those artists are, they have the ability to make that music for you uh, from money that comes from something else. Okay. Uh, mm. And how does that relate to our smaller artists? Well, what it means is, is that like um, we're all 
generally self-funded uh, because streaming services don't pay. Spotify, uh, to give one example, pays 0.034 cents per stream. What that means is we, it's far less than single, even one penny for the use of our content. So if you're listening to streaming right. services to get you music, people, please consider finding other ways to listen to music. There's lots of online services, and you should continue to listen to this specific channel because, you know, he's going to tell you where to go. It's always in development, and there's all kinds mm. of cool places to go that are not streaming. Uh, but those things are not supporting new music. And if you're somebody that said, where is all the good new music? New music sucks. The reason is, in my opinion, is because with so little funding, no one can afford to make good new music. It's difficult, right. okay? When you hear Bohemian Rhapsody, that was the product of four people, four musicians, and six months, and they didn't have to worry about where, where the lunch money was going to come from. They were on a big recording sure. label, okay? That was then. Now, recording labels only really exist in name now. They're really just labels. Mm. They're just brands. There, there are no big contracts and giant remunerations. All that stuff is, is that's the razzmatazz of show business, folks. The, the truth of the matter right. is, is, is that there's very little money in, in streaming. So people are making money, making money through endorsements and live performance, which is one of the reasons why I play out so much, because that's where most of right. my bread and butter comes from. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, George, because even when I've spoken to other artists, the way they're making is right, doing festivals and gigging out, you know, as much as they can. That's why everyone suffered during quarantine. Yes. And they're selling merch, just, you know, oh. uh, and doing CDs, and nobody has a CD player anymore. Uh, I mean, go in that direction. Uh, it is know? so important if you want to support the artists to support them directly through their website. You know, mine is georgeabarry.net. And if you go there, you can mm -hmm. purchase a download for a dollar. That's over a hundred times more funding to me than I'll ever get from Spotify or Amazon or Apple. I mean, they do a thing, and that's cool, okay? But they're not keeping these lights lit. They're not at all keeping these lights lit. Yep. And, uh, you know, so I appreciate anybody that purchases the download. I want to thank you here and now. Anybody that comes to the live show, I want to thank you here and now. And I think I can say for all independent artists that are not getting funding for some other place, we all thank you so much. We know you're the people that help us to be able to do this art. Right. And, you know, it, to, to kind of bookend at least this particular topic, the way I look at it through analogy, there are a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing out there, particularly, and let's, let's talk about, you know, the streaming services that you're going to find this podcast. Same thing. We talk that micro penny uh, thing is not real. And then, you know, I've, I've heard horror stories about, and I'm not a promoter by any, except promoting local talent uh, uh, for no money which that's okay for me. Um, but, you know, there's there are promoters over the years. I'll give you an example, uh, and you tell me if I'm off base with this. They'll go to the artist and say, well, what do you get? Well, I get 100, what, whatever, a man, you know, for the band to put together. Instead of being true to the venue that they pitch you to, some will say, I take a percentage of whatever we can get from the venue. Others, I've heard horror stories of, upsell you so much and put a lot of dough in their pocket uh, and not be true to the artist. So maybe that's true. I don't know. I know that's historically true. You know what they say, right? In, in uh, Lao Tzu, the uh, Asian philosophy, he who knows does not talk. Okay. He who talks does not know. 
<laughs> and that's very true. Oh, wait a but second. That's kind of how it is. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> that's how it is with the money in the business. Yeah, let me just remove sure. that facade yeah. for you people who may not know that. Uh, people don't talk money. You know, Tom Petty used to stand next to Bob Dylan and talk about how much they make. Uh, all of this, I mean, as far as I know. And, and I go down these rabbit holes right. all the time, all the time. Um, money is, is taboo to speak of in a lot of environments. And certainly as it relates mm. to art, uh, you can pay a lot of money and not get a whole lot of art. There's a lot of people who are phenomenal who are playing for free right down the street, right now in your neighborhood. Sure. Uh, and that's yep. the beauty of this show. You turn people on to the local art. Uh, some of the great artists that have been around. I mean, Long Island has produced Pat Benatar, Billy Joel, Eddie Murphy, on and on and on. Eddie Money, who never gets enough credit. Right. Eddie Money's daughter now, right. Jesse Money, is out there pounding the streets. She's doing a kick-ass job. You know, keep going, Jesse. You're doing great. Yep. In fact, Eddie Eddie Money was known as Eddie Mahoney from Island Trees. My Absolutely. Hometown. Eddie, so He was a cop, you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he got into the industry when the contracts yeah. were enough to feed you. And he yep. got into the CBS label, and, and it worked out for him. Now, Jessie's in a whole different situation because the streaming and all that kind of stuff. So she's mm-hmm. she's making it like I'm making it, which is, you know, you're playing festivals for, for mo- motorcycle clubs. You know, she's going to Sturgis. She's going to Arizona. She's playing, you know. Me, I'm doing almost every weekend at a restaurant or a vineyard or a bar, wherever that they want me. Sure. So let's do this. Let's take a turn into the music scene itself. Um, let's dig ourselves out of the rabbit hole of the, the money in music. And tell me about your take on the music scene and how you see it. Um, and I, I, if I was right, I said you're pretty much on the East End uh, as far as physically out there, um, which for those who don't know Long Island, we really over the past couple of decades have been uh, grown a, a, no pun intended, a really great uh, wine and vineyard uh, places uh, out on the on the North Fork, and and they're really great prominence, and they support local music, which is great. So, give me your take on that, George. Um, you know, historically, uh, New York has been a great place for the arts and music and dance and Broadway and everything. Um, at the end mm-hmm. of the '80s, uh, you know, things kind of got shattered into little pieces. And reformed many years later um, now with little independent smaller scenes that are vital mm-hmm. and, and quite alive, but in small segments. So the vineyard scene is its own world. And uh, for artists like mm-hmm. me, I can play cover songs uh, and a little bit of originals in environments that are about quality, not loud. Okay. Not nece- it's not all about volume. Right. It's about quality. And an audience that's maybe a little bit older, certainly a whole lot wiser. And they want quality. And they, they'll come out and they'll, they'll take the drive for it, which is great. Um, so I play mm-hmm. a lot out at vineyards. Um, I'm very blessed in that respect. I've done that for a number of years. And uh, mm-hmm. when my original material gets released, I, I drop an original song out there uh, in live performance. Yeah. But a lot of it is covers. But I do change the arrangements a little bit. Uh, uh, to make it more fun and make it more unique and more original. So that's that's mm-hmm. the scene that I attend to. I know there's other scenes on Long Island. I was in the hard rock uh, original scene for 10 years in my side project that was called Code Blue. I did that from 1990 okay. to 1999, and we just released a compilation 
uh, called That Train Has Sailed by Code Blue. Okay. And you can find... <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you. That was our admission that it didn't go as well as we would have liked. That <laughs> that train has sailed, kids. Uh, that was me and Nick Oliver. Uh, our, our We were like the Steely Dan of hard rock on Long Island. Two guys that always had other people behind us for the drums and the bass. Nice. And we loved doing it. And we got critical acclaim. But in the time when we were active, 1990 to 1999, the higher we rose, uh, we just couldn't get beyond a certain right. point. And we didn't know it at the time, but it was because Napster and, and the uh, dissolution mm. of record labels all breaking up that we couldn't go further. We were trying to get signed to a label, not understanding that record labels were going out of business. We're going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we yeah, were looking exactly. for money from them. They were they were looking for money from us. It was ridiculous. So we wrapped up in 1999, and I just continued doing solo work and covers and arrangements and everything I could do, and wound up playing mm-hmm. these really cool gigs, mainly out east, which is great. Right. That's me. You know. Yeah. The the eastern end of Long Island is just just great. And uh, the one thing and I was asked about this on an, uh, I was a guest on another podcast. What do you think you know makes up the Long Island sound? And I, I would say it's the diversity, the diversity of Long Island itself, not only in the people and the music, but the areas. I mean, you can go out on the east end of Long Island and it's kind of like New England like. And you can be on the South Fork, and it's very Caribbean-like to a certain extent. And you could be in Nassau County, and it's a whole new world. Or you can be in Brooklyn, which is the center of the world right now. So uh, it's a, it's an interesting place to, to listen to music and the diversity from everything from reggae and yeah. ska to hard rock to Americana and folk. You know, it, it goes in hip-hop. It yeah. goes really all over the I place. I mean, that's, it's the American you thing. Know. It's a melting pot. Everybody is here. Everybody's mixing, and you're learning, and growing. Hopefully, you know if you're brave, or or you could be in a tribute right, act, right. you know, which <laughs> I'm gonna punk on those guys because I'm sorry. I respect I respect the talent it takes to do it, you know, and the hours you put in to learn the solos. But um, you know, if you're if you're an audience member and you're supporting tribute acts in a big way, understand that if a tribute act is there on Friday, an original act can't be there. If you right. no, I, I I agree with if, I agree with you 100 percent, George. If yeah. you want the next Billy Joel, you, know, you have my, to make space for it. You know, Billy was in Attila, and that didn't go anywhere. You know, Billy was in the Hassles, hmm. that didn't go very far. You know what I mean? But he kept right. at it, right. and because of that, we have 52nd Street, The Stranger, Nylon Curtain. We have all of that because we we made space for it to happen. And with all due respect to cover yeah. bands, you know, and, and I always say that, you know, my act is a tribute to all of the tribute acts. <laughs> That's Thank a good you line. very much. That's a great line. And, you know, <laughs> if we're going to jump on this, too, and I agree with you, my friend Mike Nugent told me, he goes, yeah, it's the era of the tribute band. And he said that with uh, some remorse uh, in his voice. And you bring up a good point. When there's a tribute band, you can't play anywhere else, you know, as far as original music. And then you've got the money aspect of it where a venue is going to try to, to pull in the journey fans, uh, who will reminisce all night long. Over the I love it. Song and, and I cover journey times. when I play live, I'll cover a journey song, you know, uh, but I'm not going to do a whole night of journey and I'm not going to act like Steve Perry. I'm not going to impersonate <laughs> Neil Sean. I have too much respect for them as artists. Uh, I respect their parts. Yep. If I'm going to play their parts, I'm going to play their parts as immaculately as I can to their intent. But I'm not going to impersonate them. And I'm not going to jive you guys that right. I'm Journey or that I am somebody I'm not. 
Um, you know, a big part of what I do is George A. Barry. That's my full working name out live, mm-hmm. George A. Barry. A big part of what I am is authenticity. Mm-hmm. I am not a bullcrap artist. You, the, I, this is authentically me. And if I say something stupid, it's because maybe sometimes I'm an idiot. But you get, <laughs> I don't know everything. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I know, I knew, I know maybe two things in my life, you know, music, a little bit about animals, not too much more. Uh, but I am real. And I'm not going to jive you guys. And, and, and I think that's the right way to go. Because otherwise, playing this music and trying to bring it across with like we were talking about before, divinity, something like that, that, I don't think that happens when you're doing the jive. I don't think that happens right. when you're being, right. you're so busy being false. I don't think it happens. It's just my opinion. I could be wrong. So I, I'm not such a fan right. of that stuff. I'm not. Hey, let's talk about this. Tell me, George, about what you've, you've, you've got, look like a really busy schedule. What do you've got coming up in the summer where you're going to be playing so people can go uh, meet you? Uh, out so funny that you should ask. Playing. I just happen to have oh, a listing. Surprise. Of just These are just the <laughs> July dates. Daddy likes to work. Uh, let's see. And, and, by, and by the way, also, uh, we'll have the list of the dates in the description of this podcast episode. Uh, and then, of course, you can go to George's uh, website as well. So tell us what you oh, got, George. Oh, coming up. We are playing every single Wednesday for the month of July at Billy's by the Bay in Greenport, New York. And that's from 5 to 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. every Wednesday in July, 2023. And we're also playing like this Friday, July 7th at Puglisi Vineyards. 3 to 7, that's a Friday night, 3 to 7, July 7th. The next day, we're at Pindar Vineyards, 1 to 5 p.m. on Saturday, July 8th. The next day, Sunday, we're at Jason's Vineyard, 1.30 to 5.30 p.m. And on and on and on for the full listing, georgeabarry.net. That's the source of all of the information, you know, uh, fresh. And if there's a new song, it goes there first and later to the streaming services. Okay, if you want it in fullest Good fidelity, thinking. and first, georgeabarry.net, and later on, the streaming services get it after it's been out for a while. Wonderful. Hey, let's talk about um, the last song you brought to the table. One, no, no pun intended again, One Last Ballad. Tell me about that and let the audience hear that Yeah, uh, not to be too serious, but, you know, uh, okay. as we walk around this world we realize we're not here forever you know we're, we're here for a certain limited period of time which is why while i'm here i'm trying to do something good you know trying to raise up the people doing original art try to help the people you know have a good day out at the vineyards or a restaurant and stuff like that and um i sure. kept having for a little while a nagging thought about what would be the last song i would ever write what would that be like and i kind of put myself mm-hmm. in that position and it kind of, it was a metaphor for like when you're at a gig and you're loving the band like Bon Jovi and they've played all their songs. I mean, it's just been a fantastic night, two hours of amazing music and the energy is fantastic. You feel like you're brothers to the people right next to you and sisters to the people right over right. there. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, it's, it's like the end of the gig. What else is left? And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. if it's Bon Jovi, you start to hear the opening notes I'm a cowboy, you know, on a stale horse I ride, you know. As soon as you hear those opening notes, you're like, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? And and, and right. it's that I just want one more ballad. 
I just want one more song. Mm. That's, you know, excuse me for my passion. I'm really into this. You know, <laughs> that's that's the feeling I was trying to put into the song. And that's just a metaphor for, you know, you know, when we shuffle off this mortal coil, we all want one more ballad, right. you know. And uh, I hopefully I translated the song across in a way that communicates that feeling that you never want these beautiful summer nights to end. Let's listen to one more ballad. Enjoy, everyone. George, you're one of the most interesting interviews I've had, and I'm glad we've really jumped into some more controversial and, you know, we're real about the music industry because a lot of people, uh, as far as the audience, really don't understand uh, how much of a struggle it is to do original music, to survive, and uh, not knowing what's around the corner. And, uh, you know, we touched on it earlier. It takes balls to do 
what you do and be a musician and be true to your art and true to yourself and entertain us. And I've always said this. I've always said I've been enamored by singer-songwriters who are able to articulate what I'm feeling in my soul and my in my heart. Yeah. And when I can go out and hear that, it's it's really something special. So uh, I completely agree. I really thank you for being here. Oh, thank here. you for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Now, we, we've got so much to dive into. I really look forward to seeing you uh, when I go out on the North Fork. Uh, when you see a white-haired guy, you know, walking up to you, you're going to hopefully remember me. And uh, everybody, tell us the website again, George, um, that the people can go to to find your work. Everything about George A. Barry is to be found at georgeabarry.net. And I don't ask for your date of birth or anything else. You could go there free. I'm not going to download you with cookies. I don't do any of that nonsense. I also have two Facebook accounts. You can look for me up on Facebook. You can look for me on Instagram, George Barry New York. But to keep it simple, just go to georgeabarry.net. And through there, you can get to everything else I have, downloads, merch, performance schedule, everything. And thank you, Steve, for having me and being a true supporter and patron of the arts. Without people like yourself shining a light on the next Billy Joel, the next Pat Benatar from Lindenhurst, New York, it doesn't happen <laughs> without people like Steve Yusko. And a lot of times it's guys like Steve Yusko that don't get the credit. We don't, you know. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. I mean that. it. I mean it. I mean, we wouldn't have so many of these artists were it not for somebody who constantly, and it's work, it's work to make all of this happen. So I thank you sincerely, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Okay, brother. Until next time, take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Until next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Peace.